I ever expected from going through scripture, going through other books, and really preparing for this. And one of the first things I'm going to be talking about you guys with is the importance of prayer. So I would just ask that while I'm up here, that you guys would be praying for me, um, that I would communicate, communicate clearly, and that I would um, have peace. Um, to get started, though, let's recap. Dave's been going through the book of Philippians with you guys for the last few weeks. And there's a few things to remember. So who's writing this book? Paul. He's writing it from Rome to the Philippian church. And one of the ways that one of my professors in college gave me to help remember what this book is about is he said, just remember, the Philippians were flipping out. You guys like that joke a lot more than my class did because a lot of us just kind of groaned in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's writing this to the Philippians, and they were flipping out because of the truth and of a reality that we're going to look at in this text in a few moments. At the beginning of this letter, we see that the Philippians and Paul had a strong mutual relationship with each other. They cared about each other. It wasn't like, oh, he had just come in for a couple years, and he'd been there, but he really wasn't there. No, he invested his life into the Philippian church for an extended period of time to see them grow. And then as he, and then as he goes on, he talked about how even though they were worried about the fact that he was in prison, that actually had served to advance the gospel. And we saw that because of his chains, most of the prison guard and many others had come to know Christ. Um, David talked about how Paul was probably just about the worst prisoner ever. Like, they were chained to him, not the other way around. And then, just at the end of the chapter, or not in the chapter, at the end of last week's lesson, Dave talked about how even with the false motives of many of the other speakers in Philippi, the gospel was advanced. And Paul was encouraging the Philippians to not try and stop the people that were preaching with false motivation because their message was true. They were preaching the gospel just out of false motive. And because of that, Paul was rejoicing. And that's where we pick up in verse 19, where it says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For it is for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose I do not know. I, depart, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But, I, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Moving on to verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to, to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had 
and now see that I still have. So that's a lot of verses, and we're just going to start working our way through those. Back at the very beginning of this passage, we see that Paul's tone is going to be important for the way we interpret the rest of these verses, because at the very end of verse 18, leading into 19, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So Paul isn't getting rid of the rejoicing attitude that he had about the gospel being proclaimed. He's actually continuing it into what he says here, where he says that he knows that through the prayers of the Philippians and God's provision of the Spirit, that all of this will actually work out for his deliverance. Now, in this verse, it's important to recognize that Paul doesn't specify what kind of deliverance he's talking about here. He doesn't tell them whether or not he's going to be set free from his chains and have physical deliverance, or whether or not he's going to just talking about spiritual deliverance, that, hey, if I die, I'm with Christ. But he clarifies that in the coming passages. With that, it's important to recognize the close relationship that Paul sets between the prayers of his people and, the, 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 and God's supplying of the Spirit. Okay, It's not a mistake that Paul so closely links these in this passage when he says that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit. Okay, these are intricately connected, and you can't separate them. I think a lot of times we get a wrong idea about prayer. We forget how powerful prayer can be. But it's important to have the right mindset about it because prayer isn't going to change God's mind, but God certainly uses it. Francis Chan puts it this way. One of God's means of sustaining his servants is the prayers of his people. That's why I think it's so important that I know I'm nervous, but I know that I asked you guys to pray for me. I know that I have friends praying for me. Because this isn't just talking about these life or death situations. This is talking about our every situation in life. God sustains us through the prayers of his people and his provision of the Spirit. So he's with us because his people are praying for us. I've experienced this not just in this, but also the fact that you guys, a lot of you guys know I'm from Liberty University. Like I, I'm about 20 hours from really anybody I knew before a few months ago. Like It's been great, but there's been times that that has made me nervous. I've been I've had struggles, even though it's been amazing to get to know so many of you. But those times whenever I'll be sitting at home or at work, and I just get a text from one of my friends from back home, one of the leaders or other adults in my church, and it says, hey, we're praying for you. When I get a text from one of my parents, and it says, hey, we hope everything's going well. We love you. Like, there's, there's, there's power in that. God uses that to help sustain his people. And I think a lot of us sometimes take that for granted. We might say, oh yeah, I'm praying for you, but are we really? And do we really believe that that's going to help people? I would challenge you to take, to take prayer seriously. But moving on to verse 20, Paul here really addresses the elephant in the room. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Okay, this should give us pause, because I think it would have given the Philippians pause. This is the first time in the book that he has addressed their biggest concern, and that's that he might die. Before this, it was a lot of encouragement, but this is the first time he actually puts into words the reality that 
hey guys, I might not make it back to you. And he goes on to encourage them from that. But I think here there's some, the important thing to recognize is that all too often, a lot of us don't encourage people in struggles with truth. We like to sugarcoat things. Okay, Paul could have very easily said, hey guys, I'm definitely going to get out of this, don't you worry. But then if that didn't happen, what would have happened to the Philippians? It would have been devastating. They, they, they wouldn't have been prepared for the reality that Paul didn't really know and if he would have said anything but this, he might have just been sugarcoating it. I, th- I know I've certainly done that whenever I've been talking, when I talk to some of my friends in difficult circumstances. I won't acknowledge the hard truth in favor of the possibility of something better. But because Paul addresses this with truth, it enables him to address the whole situation better. Moving on into verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is probably one of the most overused verses in, in church. Like, I, I see it everywhere. I see it on mugs, and I don't think we really understand what it means. Yeah, it's easy to say, okay, yeah, like, if, if I depart and if, if I die, I'm with Christ, so that's obviously better. But do we really believe that? In verse 20, Paul had talked about being, that he didn't want to be ashamed. And we're going to see what he was worried about being ashamed of as he describes what it means that to live is Christ and die is gain. Verse 22 reads, For if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose I do not know. I am torn between the two. I I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Okay. So he explains what he's talking about to live as Christ and die as gain. Living means fruitful labor. Death means being with Christ. It's easy to say that, though. It's harder to live it. It's harder to have actions that actually reflect the truth that he knows. I think we usually understand what it means to live for Christ. It's pretty easy to say, yeah, like, if I keep living, like, I can keep telling people about Jesus. I can keep doing good things. I can keep reading my Bible. But we kind of stop short and deny the truth of the fact that death is gain. This is, it's, it's kind of tough to think about, but this is the heart of Paul. And next week, whenever you guys, or not next week, but next time we pick up in Philippians, in chapter 2, we're going to see the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. But this is the heart of Paul, and I think that's also important. He says that, if to live is Christ and die is gain, and if that is his heart, then that is going to motivate his every action. And if, he misunder- and if we misunderstand what it means to die for Christ, we're going to meet, un- misunderstand what it means to live for him. And I think this is a truth that's reflected throughout Scripture. A lot of us also know Psalm 23.4, even if you don't know what that verse is by me saying Psalm 23.4. So I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Okay, a lot of us know those words. Not Christians don't even, aren't the only ones that use that. Everybody uses that because it, it sounds cool and it sounds encouraging. But if you misunderstand that, you're also going to misunderstand what Paul's saying here for death is gain. How many of you like country music? A few of you guys, yeah. There's a Luke Bryan song where he says, 
where he says, I believe, I believe those streets of gold are worth the work, but I would still want to go if it was paved in dirt. And the second part of that's what I want to think what I want us to think about here. Because he's talking about heaven. He'd still want to, he's saying he still wants to go even if it's paved in dirt. I wonder how many of us think that way. Like, when you think of heaven, what are the first things that come to your mind? Like, whenever I, whenever I was growing up, if you told me, hey, what is going to be great about heaven? I would have said, well, I get to see my grandparents again. I get to see people that die. And that's good, but that shouldn't be our main thing. See, our main thing is what Paul says when he says, to depart and be with Christ is by far better. And the stuff, the other good things about heaven aren't bad. But if we make those the main things, then we misunderstand why heaven is so great. And we might say, well, if I don't get to see my family, what, my family that believed in Christ, that died, what's so great about it? If, if that's our approach, then we misunderstand heaven. And because of that, we'll then fear this idea of death. And that's not something we should do. That goes back to that passage in um, that Psalm 23, 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's kind of a wordy phrase. Here's an example that I think really helps crystallize what that means. Okay, I was driving um, into the church about last middle of last week. And I pull up to a red light, and I'm in the turning lane. And behind me comes one of those huge 18-wheelers that has, like, a house on the back. I don't know if you guys have seen those, but they're pretty big. And it's coming down the road, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if this thing doesn't stop? Like, I'm the last car in the line here. If it doesn't stop, it's hitting me. And if that happened, I would be dead. (laughs) No need to sugarcoat it. But it didn't. It pulled up because it was going straight and went right and went right beside me, and I'm standing there in its shadow. Okay, this thing I was so afraid of wasn't going to hit me, but I'm now in its shadow. And I think that's the point being made in this psalm, that though I stand in the valley of the shadow of death, it's not the valley of death, it's the shadow of it. Okay, and that's still scary. When I saw that truck coming, I was still scared, even though it was never going to hit me. That driver was always going straight. It was never going to be in the same lane. Well, that's the reality for us as believers. If you have asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and believe that he was raised from the dead to purchase that, then the truck, in this, in, in this um, analogy, death, never has a grip on you. And that frees us to live as if life is for Christ. Because if we miss that, then when we're going about our lives, the fears of what might happen can cause us to not act. Another way of thinking about it is, like, if you've ever been to a zoo, and you go and see the lions, okay? This thing that, if you saw this walking down the road, you're going to run, because it can kill you. But because it's in a zoo, behind bars and behind glass, we're like, oh, I can walk right up to this, and I'm like inches from it. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, that still made me nervous. Like, I'd go to the zoo, and the lion would growl, and I'd be scared. 
even though it couldn't hurt me. Even though there was something separating me from the pain of the lion. That's what death is like for the believer. We still are scared of it, but it can't hurt us. And it's not wrong we're scared of it, because that's what Paul's talking about in verse 20. When he says, I desire that I would not be ashamed, but that Christ would be exalted in my life or death. He's basically saying, I desire that no matter what happens, I would have the courage and remember the truth that death can't hurt me. And that even though I might be scared of it, it doesn't have a hold on me anymore. That's why we read things like 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? If it could still hurt him, he wouldn't be taunting it. But this is the reality for us as believers, that death has lost its sting, but I worry that many of us still live like it hasn't. Like death still has a hold on us. Moving on into verse 24 through 26. We're going to go ahead and read those. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Here we see Paul's shepherd's heart. He just established that being with Christ is better by far. But here he says, I know I'm still needed. I know Christ still has a plan for me here. So I know I'm going to remain. And he, I, don't, I don't think that his tone of joy from the beginning of this passage changed. He's still rejoicing that even though he doesn't get to experience this reality of heaven yet, he knows he will one day. But he's willing to have that be off in the future for his sake of comforting those who he cares about so deeply, the Philippians. For those of you that are going to be Jeeger bleeders, I hope that to a lesser extent possibly, this would be a similar attitude you would have. That, yeah, like, it might be fun to go and hang out with my friends tonight, but I made this commitment and I want to see my friends who are in this G group I'm leading grow and develop and have greater joy. Stepping into a leadership role takes some amount of self-sacrifice. And being able to say, I desire your well-being better than my, slightly above my own. And it's not like I'm going to not take care of myself, but I'm going to seek your well-being. So Paul's willing to remain so they will be comforted. And starting in verse 27, he offers this kind of like recap of everything that he's talked about. And he says, starting in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I I love the way that the CSB Bible translation starts off this verse. It says, just one thing, conduct yourself 
in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul summarizes all of this that he's been saying and says, if you forget everything else I've said, just live out the gospel. Live live in a manner that reflects it. Reminds me somewhat of Romans 6.1, when Paul says, what shall we say in response to these things? Shall we go on living, or shall shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's this reality that because of this truth that has changed your life, you're going to live differently. And that doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Certainly not. I know I've sinned plenty of times since I came to know Christ. But whenever I realize, hey, this thing that I'm doing is sin, and I continue to do it, I try and remove that from my life, and I rely on Christ's power to do that. I rely on the fellowship of believers around me to help hold me accountable to that. I try and live, as we all should, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Two words really stand out in this passage besides that that idea, though. And that's standing and striving. Paul says, stand firm in the one spirit. You've got to remember, this is written, yes, it's to the Philippians, but they're a Roman city in Greece. So you have these two cultures competing against each other. But this, I, this word stand in, in the Greek that it's written in was, would have been used primarily in a military environment. This would have brought to mind the picture of soldiers standing with their shields shoulder to shoulder with, those, with the others that are fighting with them. And then this idea of striving was used in the Greek culture, in the Greek context that this was in, to talk about an athletic competition, where the competitors are striving towards a goal. When you see these words together like this, I I can't help but think of the powerful mental picture that this brings, of soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, striving towards a goal of winning a battle. Kind of like this. They they would have their shields, and they're ready to go. They have an objective in mind. They're going to defeat their enemy. But what is our goal? The advancement of the gospel. And just to make sure that you understand that this this isn't just some like, oh, like we're not really an army. We're just, you know, believers. Paul uses very similar wording whenever he talks in Ephesians 6, 12, which for some of you might actually be on the same page depending on the formatting of your Bible. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm he goes on to describe the full armor of God. In Ephesians, the image he uses is of a soldier being fully armored and ready to fight. But what do they fight with? That's the word of God. The the word of God is described as a sword in Ephesians. So we're an army that isn't fighting physically. Fighting with the truth of this book. This living word. The truth of the gospel. And our goal is to advance that gospel. 
moving on to, to Philippians 28 through 30. Paul says, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and not by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, and, and now hear that I still have. This whole idea of fighting a battle isn't always easy. Going down to, to verse 29, we see that in verse 30, we see that there's struggles, there's suffering, there's difficulty. But the wonderful thing about, um, about an army is you're not alone. When one person goes down, they can be there. You have people around you to pick you up. The Marines take this to a whole new level when they, don't leave, they won't leave anybody behind. I mean, that's most branches of the military. That's a whole thing that happened if you've ever seen the Black Hawk Down. It's they, they won't leave people behind. They don't leave their injured. The church should be like that. We should rally around the people that are struggling, just like an army. If one person's struggling, they're not alone. They're shoulder to shoulder with their brothers and sisters in Christ who can help pick them up and carry them through the hard times. And we might, we might recognize that as truth, but how many of us actually live that way? How many of us, when we know that somebody's struggling, actually go to them and say, hey, come on. I, I worry that too many of us don't do that. And I think that is reflected by how many people are so disenchanted with the church. We, we don't, they don't see a kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, advancing. They see a disorganized mess of people that say they care about each other, but don't. So I would challenge you guys, be an army that truly wants to achieve victory and truly wants to see those around them succeed in that. This whole idea from verse 28 that this is a sign that the, 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 this is a sign that those who oppose you will be destroyed. I can't help but think about the Roman military advancing against some barbarian tribe. They see this army advancing in unison. They see how well prepared they are. And they can't help but realize there's something different about those people than our soldiers. And realizing that what they're doing is bound to succeed. I think that's a picture of what the church would look like, pushing back against evil, pushing back against darkness. If we work together in the way that we see in Scripture, if we truly care about one another, if we seek those around us benefit over our own. Believing will drive us to action, but we have people around us to help us. Before I close, I want to just give you guys a couple pieces of encouragement. Because, one, you're not alone. You're not fighting this battle alone. You're side by side with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But most importantly, the king we serve already won this war. He redeemed the ultimate, what, what looked like a defeat into his ultimate victory. And if he can do that with the cross that every defeat we may think we suffer, he's able to redeem for good. 
he's able to redeem to be used to advance his kingdom. With that, we're going to go ahead and break up for uh, our time of discussion. Go ahead and